worship. Yes, amen. That's right. Well, listen, we are in week four of a series that we have entitled If. And I, I hope you'll give me the time, just a few moments, to kind of go over what we've talked about the last weeks. And one, let me just say it one more time. I'm just incredibly impressed how God has taken this whole series in a way I did not anticipate. And he did it again. It happened on Tuesday morning. He showed me exactly uh, what I was to share with you today, the theme of what I was to share with you today. And it was just very exciting. We started out uh, way back in James chapter 4 and verse number 13. And we talked about uh, trusting God or doing the will of God. And James starts there by simply saying this. Now, now, y'all who say, we're going to go, we're going to leave here, we're going to a certain place, we're going to stay a certain amount of time, and then we're going to make a profit. And I pointed out clearly that that laid the groundwork for the entire series, and that was this. That is what our society today would applaud. That's what we train our kids for. That's what we seek for as men. We want to be successful. We want to have a plan. We want to know where we're going. But unfortunately, in that scripture, in James 4.13, God is totally omitted. God is totally left out of the picture. And later on, James says that, that we should say, if the Lord wills. And we introduced the thought from Psalm 14.1, that of the practical atheist. And the context there is not someone who doesn't believe in God. It's someone who believes in God but tells God no. In other words, he says it's the, it's the person who walls off God in certain areas of their life. And the Bible says that is simply practical atheism. It's a person who practically lives as if there is no God. And we've talked about finances. We've talked about our marriage. We've talked about parenting. We've talked about our career. You can name the area, but I'm going to say something. And I don't know because I can't reach your heart, but probably 99.9% of us today have an area, big or small, that we are still wrestling with, wrestling to the ground about total surrender to God. So then the second week, and in a message on prayer, we talked about, well, how does God get us back on track? And we went to Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name will humble themselves, they'll express their dependence on God, will humble themselves and, and, and will seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways, then I, God speaking, will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. God says, and introduced in that thought, he said this, if you want these walls to come down, the way to do that is to repent. To turn away from that is to declare your dependence on me. To wave the white flag and say, God, I surrender. I, 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 you may have made a great job of your finances, but the truth is, without God, it's not a great job. God, I surrender my finances. God, I surrender my marriage. I surrender my children. I surrender my home. I surrender my career. I surrender my time. I wave the white flag. And then last week, we talked about some of the ramifications of what happens if that doesn't happen. And I talked about the fact on Saint of Life Sunday how the church sends very confusing messages to our society when we don't surrender. When we say we believe one thing and don't do it, we are sending conflicting messages. And I talked about how the, the, um, the way our, church, our society lives really is determined by the national conscious. That is, that the way people feel, what the people feel are right, they do, and what they say is wrong, they don't do. And what we saw in, in Roe versus Wade was a culmination of our society moving away from the preciousness of life and simply saying life doesn't matter. And to a large degree, that happened and continues to happen in different areas. 
We've lost prayer in school. We've lost God in school. We're about to lose the sanctity of marriage because the church is conflicted. They have the desire to be accepted by society. They have the desire to be successful. And it overrides the desire to be obedient to God. And like I say, the answer to that, we learned in the last part of that message was, when the disciples said, whoa, this is bigger than us. Increase our faith. And Jesus said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, that DNA faith, then you could say to a tree, move and it would. And that brings us up to this morning. Faith. If there's a Mount Everest of faith outside of our salvation experience, it is in the area of our giving. It's one of the things that we wrestle with the most. And yet it's one thing that God calls us. Now, I even changed the sermon title today. It went from highway robbery, which was not at all what God wanted, to simply free fall. Free fall. Have you ever thought why guys jump out of airplanes? Sometimes it's desperation, isn't it? The engine quits. You turn to the parachute on your back to get you to the ground. You're you're in a war situation and a missile hits your aircraft. You eject out of that aircraft because you know you're going down. You're going to crash. Sometimes it's for purpose. In other words, you're sitting there and and you're, you're a paratrooper. You're a soldier. And the battle is down there and you're here. And so they drop you behind enemy lines on purpose, leaving a perfectly good airplane. You jump out on purpose, trusting the parachute to get you down. Sometimes it's just for the thrill of it all. My, my son-in-law, Jonathan, wanted to jump out of an airplane. Jonathan's a really great kid. But that was one time I said, dude, go get a haircut. <laughs> You know, crazy. It's just crazy. And yet he did it for the thrill of it. And so much we see that in society, seeking a thrill. Men jump from airplanes for various reasons. And God is calling us today to jump from the airplane. He's calling us to jump out of the plane and trust him to get us safely to the ground. Let him be our parachute. For some of you, you're in desperate straits. For some of you, financially, maritally, parenting, career-wise, life-wise, you are about to go under. Because you've walled off areas, you've excluded God, and the consequences are getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Something that's on purpose. You're discovering, wait a minute, that I'm not here just to amass the toys. I'm not just here to get... To, to succeed. So when I die, I can have this really large tombstone in the cemetery. And somebody would drive by and say, he had a lot of money. He had a lot of toys. You're discovering that God's called you to a purpose. And some of you have even gone one step beyond that. And that's the thrill of it. The thrill of being part of something so much bigger than you. And God's saying, leave the plane. To Peter, he'd say, get out of the boat. Leave the plane. And trust me. And trust me. Is it hard? Yeah. I'm not sure why it's so hard for guys particularly to trust God financially. I'm going to tell you right now, this is not even a given message. I, I think probably there's two reasons. Uh, Matt Osh will point out to me very accurately, you know, that sometimes men find it hard to give because we require these things that we, we have this innate in us to, to, you know, to provide for the family. And when we willfully give part of that provision away, what if kicks in? What if I lost my job? What if this? What if this? And 
We fear what we'll be able to provide for our family. But I'm afraid for a lot of us, is consumerism. Because what we give away, we can't buy with. We can't amass the, the toys. We can't amass the things. And that's real wrestling with us. So Paul, or excuse me, God says, trust me. I want you to jump out of the airplane today. You've heard three weeks about practical atheism. You've heard about how to undo it. You've heard the consequences. Now trust me. Trust me. Our scripture day is from Malachi, chapter 3, verses 6 through 12. Malachi was written about 460 years before Christ. Apparently, and there's really no way to accurately date the prophecy, but apparently it's after the exile. The children of Israel have been in captivity for 70 years, and they come back. Around 515, the temple was built, and they were on a God high. Yay, God! Yay, God! Yay, God! Then something happened. They may have started building walls. Maybe the walls went up about giving, finances. Maybe the walls went up concerning whom they should marry, foreign women or not, women outside their faith. Perhaps the walls went up their parenting, not passing the lineage on to the children about what an awesome God. But then God led a prophet named Malachi to speak. And it's the last time God spoke until 300 years later when he spoke and shouted from heaven through his son, Jesus Christ. So what's the message? In Malachi chapter 3, we read these words. And I included verse number 6. It really doesn't go with the paragraph, but I wanted you to see something that I thought was so powerful. He says, and I do use the Holman Christian Standard Bible, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. He says, because I, Yahweh, I, God, have not changed. Aren't you glad today that God is unchangeable? Come on, you knew better than that. After that worship service, you knew better than that. Aren't you glad that God is unchangeable? He, he doesn't change his mind about us. See, the rest of the verse says this, I, Yahweh, have not changed. You, descendants of Jacob, have not been destroyed. Because I don't change, I've not destroyed you. You see, Israel had not kept its end of the bargain. But God had made a covenant. And God was going to stay true to his covenant. And I want you to know something. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you made that commitment and by his grace and through faith in Jesus Christ, God has made a covenant with you. And he will not change his mind. But he longs. He, he has a couple of passions. The first is, if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus, God's first passion is that you come into relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. He longs to bring you into the family of God through his son. As you heard Rod say, not by works, not by amassing things and, and saying, God, I'll give you these things, but by grace. Matt quoted in, in, his, in, in his leading worship. For by grace you have been saved. He wants you to be saved. But that begins the second part of the journey. And that is his passion for him to trust him and worship him. He did not leave you here and save you just to do life. He's called you to John 10, 10. I've come to have life and have it more abundantly. And that involves trusting God. That involves a little wall destruction. That involves every day getting up and saying, God, you are not optional in my life. I need you. I need you. So he says, I have not changed. It's because of that you descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. But here's what he says in verse 7. 
Since the days of your fathers, you have turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. The, the, the history of Israel was this. They would, they would strip from God. They would, they would go into judgment. They would return back to God. And then they would turn from God. And there would be judgment. They turn back over and over and over again. He says, from the days of your fathers, you have this history of partial obedience if there's such a thing. Partial faith. Partial trust. And you know what? Particularly in this 21st century, that's the history of us. The history of us is that we trust God willingly in the easy things. And the hard things we don't. When somehow when we think the cost gets too big, we have a real tendency to back up and say, no, God, not this and not that much. But he says, since, since the time of your fathers, you have turned back from following my statutes. And he says something incredible. Return to me. He opens the door and says, come back home. I want you to know something. Listen, I am an unchanging God. The covenant's still good. Return to me. And in that process, I'm going to return to you. Now, here's what I want you to hear. What God was saying this. When he was saying this, so they walked away from God. Return to me. And when you turn around, you're going to see me. You're going to see me with arms open wide, waiting to welcome you back into fellowship with me. And for all the practical atheists here, for all of you who have walled off God in areas, and, and for, for some many areas, and some one area, some a hidden area of your life, his plea to you today is, return to me. And you know what? When you turn, you're going to see me. It's incredibly powerful that that's the kind of God that we serve. So Israel says... How should we come back? How, how, God, how do we make the turn? How do we return to you? And then, and then God gives him an illustration. He says, will, will a man rob God? I, I bet it was a shock to him. You know? God, how do we return to you? It's kind of like when Jesus did his parable thing, you know. Will, will a man rob God? And I can see instantly, I just played out in my mind, God asked the question to the prophet, and instantly they go, well, no. I mean, that's like, that's like you know, a mountain, or that's like a house cat trying to kill a wildebeest. I mean, you're too big, God. We wouldn't rob you because you're a lot bigger than us. And maybe if their hearts were tender that particular day, like after a good worship service, we might say something like this. Oh, no, God, you're too good. God, we just sang the songs. And we learned about how, God, you sent your son. And through your grace, you forgave us. No, God, we never could. No, no, it couldn't be. <laughs> no way, God. And you know what God said? Yes way. Yes way. Because he says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And you ask, how do we rob you? You're robbing me, but how, well, how are we robbing you, God? Here's what he says. By not making, and this is why I chose the Holman Christian Standard Bible. By not making the payments of 10% and the contributions. Every Jew knows that understood. I love, now the reason I wanted to use the New King James or the King James, I love it. And tithes and offerings. I loved it because the Holman Christian Standard just brought it one step further. By the payments.
payments of the 10%. See, we wrestle with this. Listen, if you're a believer in Jesus, now if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you can just tune out for a minute. But to us who know God, who are in relationship with God, God says, there's a payment that belongs to me. It's mine already. I'm just simply asking you to give it back to me. And it's called 10%. It's called the tithe. He said, I want you to bring the payment back to me. That contribution thing, that's like when you send your wife a Valentine card and you say, I love you. He says, I want you, I want you to give the tithe because that belongs to me. But, but you know what? It would be okay too if you send me an I love you note. He said, God, this is above the tithe. I just want to say, I love you. Now, I know. Some of you would be very quick to point out. First off, Dwayne, have you noticed something? Malachi is in the Old Testament. And everyone knows, Dwayne, that we're not under the law. Well, first off, Malachi is still a part of the Word of God. Secondly, tithing, according to Genesis chapter 14, tithing predates the law. When Abraham found Melchizedek, who most theologians believe was, was a Christ incarnate, he's a king without beginning, what did Abraham do? He tithed all that he had. And then, of course, you've got Luke chapter 14. And Jesus and Luke chastising the Pharisees, saying, you know, you tithe on this stuff. You tithe on the deal, you tithe on the mint, you tithe all this stuff. That you ought to do. And not leave the other undone. Jesus Christ, New Testament, the guy who died for you, says, you ought to do that. He said, well, Dwayne, I'm a grace man. Are you a grace man? Well, good. Because grace goes further than the law. I think I remember something like this. Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, You have heard it said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Where did they hear that from? Is that one of the big ten? It was, wasn't it? Thou hast heard it said, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you, If you look at a woman to lust after her, you have already committed adultery in your heart. See, grace, the New Testament, goes further than the law. So if you're a grace man, boy, I hope you're up around 25 or 30%, 40% maybe. How many of y'all like tithing all of a sudden a lot better? No, see, it all belongs to God. And God in His grace simply says this. You know, give me the 10%. And if you want to say you love me and give me more, that's cool. But here's what I want you to get. I'm certain that it's not even about that. I want to take a teaching opportunity and teach you about tithing. But it's not even about that. What is God really saying here? When he said, how are you robbing me in tithes and offering? He's really saying, why don't you trust me? This whole passage in Malachi is about trusting God. He's saying, man, why don't you trust me with this? Why is it that you can't bring the tithe? And the reason you can't bring the tithe is because you don't 
trust me. And that's what the practical atheist does. Whether it's your finances, when you wall God out, you say, God, I don't trust you to handle my finances. And if it's your marriage, you wall God off and say, I don't trust you to handle my marriage. If it's your parenting skills, you wall God off and say, I don't trust you to help me raise my children. If it's your career, then you wall God off and say, I don't trust you to help me make decisions or tell me decisions to make for my career. And on and on and on it goes. You see... People don't have a money problem with God. They have a heart problem with God. Because God knows something. When you're free to God with your finances, He gets your heart. I mean, if you really think, if you really think for a moment that God couldn't take it, your God's way too small. I mean, we're talking about God here. If he wanted your two or three or four or thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars, do you not think he could arrange to take it from you? He he could take it and leave you a greasy spot on the seat. It's not about money. It's about your heart. And he's telling the people of Israel and telling us today, it's about your heart. Here's what he says. I love verse 9. You are suffering under a curse. And yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Some of you have been here all four weeks. And you have heard time and again about walling God off in areas. And yet you continue to wall God off in those areas. Some of you will leave here today, and as soon as you heard the stewardship testimony, as soon as you saw the slide, Malachi chapter 3, as soon as I mentioned money, you closed it off. You have made up your mind what you're going to do with money today. And God's not going to change your mind. And certainly no preacher will. And God says, think about it. You're living this life, and you'd be the first to admit, things aren't going well in a certain area. Your marriage is, in, your marriage is rubble. And yet God says, you still are robbing me. Your marriage is rubble, but you still won't trust me. Your finances are so messed up, but you still won't trust me. You're so concerned about your kids, but you still won't trust me. You're so frustrated with your career because there's no time for family. There's no time for life. There's no time for anything. And yet you still won't trust me. In my day, I called the curse of being a practical atheist. It's like, how many blondes do we have here today? I've got a couple of my family, so y'all forgive me, but it's like telling a blonde to stand in a corner in a circle. It's an exercise in futility. Oh, boy, I'm going to pay for that one. I know I am. I just couldn't think of another example on my feet, okay? So just let me say it right now. I'm sorry. But isn't that kind of the way it is? We keep beating our head against the wall, and God's saying, hey, give me a try. In fact, as Rod said, over and over again, we said, don't try God, don't test God. But here's the one time in Scripture where God says it, He invites us, what He says in verse 10. Now watch, watch this, watch this, watch this. Bring the full 10%. 
He didn't say, I said before I preached before, well, start where you are. If you can't give ten, give two. And then when you give two, give three. Bring the full ten percent. And the King James says, bring the tithe. Bring the ten percent. But here's the deal. God isn't saying, trust me partially. He's saying, trust me totally. I've got a stinking suspicion for trust to be effective when it comes to God. It's got to be the whole banana. The whole enchilada. The whole deal. If you want God to be the God of your finances, you've got to let him in. 100%. I mean, remember that scripture in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. It's not like he, you crack the door and Jesus gets his foot in the door and says, Okay, now we'll work on it. God says, Jesus says, Throw the door open. Bring the full time. Fully trust me. Hey, you tired of messing up your marriage? You tired of the mess you got there? Fully trust me with it. Hey, hey, you you tired of worrying about your kids and your kids going this way when you want to go this way or God wants to go that way? Fully trust me. Fully trust me. Fully trust me. Bring the full tithe. And quick teaching moment. I'm not going to stay long here. And to wear the storehouse. Modern day, I don't think I'm being... I don't think I'm taking scripture out of context. The storehouse in those days was a temple. And New Testament application is the church. Bring the 10% into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. So that my work may be accomplished in the, what does God believe in? The local church. I mean, you can send it to Billy Graham, but it's not scriptural. You, you can send it to uh, Compassion International. That, that, what about them, Dwayne? That's where your contributions go. That's where your offerings go. He says, bring the tithe to the church. Not so the pastor would have a fat salary. So that the ministries that God has commissioned this church to do can be 100% fully funded. We should, listen, God's plan for Doorsville is that every mission trip, every ministry, the projects, whatever it might be, the new college ministry, whatever it is, is 100% fully funded by the people of God. That's his plan. How's it work, Dwayne? Through the tithe. Yeah, okay, come on. That's just it. And then God has a plan for for Billy Graham and Samaritan's Purse and all those different ministries. It's called contributions and offerings. And it goes beyond the tithe. Bring them, trust me fully. Bring it all here. Then watch this. This is so good. Test me. Try me. Prove me, he says, in this way. God says, he lays it out to Israel and says, look, just give me, give me a year. Give me six months. You, look, you've tried. It's not working. You've tried. It's not working. You've tried. It's not working. Hey, hey, you tried. It's not working. Try me. Try God's way. And I, may I just once again, I... The songs we sang demand this. It would be very hypocritical, very hypocritical, to get passionate about that music and say no to this teaching today. Very hypocritical. He says, try me in this one. Make it 100%. Give me all of you, all of your family, 
And just let me show you what I can do. In fact, he goes and he says this. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Now, I'm going to teach you something today I have never heard before. Never heard. Because it's so easy to take this because of our Western mentality and say, sounds like a deal to me. I give him 100, he gives me 10,000. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe those guys on TV when they say that? Do you really think that's how God works? This is so cool. I'm studying. And I look this word up in Hebrew, the word measure. Here's what it says. One of the definitions. Without measure means as much as you need. See if I will not open the windows of heaven and give you as much as you need. You remember manna? How much manna were the children of Israel to pick up every day? Enough for the day, as much as they needed. On, on the day before the Sabbath, they pick up two days' worth, and they got as much as they needed. Some of you guys like that English Standard Version, don't you? They got it right. Here's what the English Standard Version says. It says, Until there is no more need. I will open the windows of heaven until there's no more need. Wow. Is that not cool? It's very cool. It's very cool. And we can keep on doing business like this. And the good news is, last breath, if you're truly a believer in Jesus Christ, last breath, absent from by the presence of the Lord. But between... Today and that day, it may be 10 minutes, it may be two days, it may be three months, it may be 25, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. And God says, you're going to find life totally amazing when the walls come down. Ronald Reagan, when he was the president, I can hear it in my mind him saying, Mr. Gorbachev! Tear this wall down. And God is shouting to us from heaven. My children, my sons, my daughters, tear this wall down. And you know what's amazing? Ronald Reagan said that not so he could make everyone American, but that the bondage could be set free. You know why God's saying, trust me? Do you know why God is saying tear the wall down? Because that is how you are free. If you know the Son, if the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. There's freedom from the walls. There's freedom from the walls. There's freedom from the walls. My sisters and brothers, there's freedom from the walls. Tear them down. Tear them down. And this last thing, this intercession thing. Look what he says. Verse 11 and 12. I will rebuke the devourer for you. So that it will not ruin the produce of your ground. And your vine in your field will not be barren, says the Lord of hosts. I ask this question. Because I'm trying so hard to be accurate in my teaching. Does that apply 
to us. And here's what I wrote down. Yes. Within the scope of God's sovereignty and will. Yes. It does. What do you mean, Dwayne? I can't tell you. I'm I'm pastoring to hear me say this. I can't tell you the times over the 35 years, Rod, that we've been married. How many times God has stopped the devourer from our lives. How he's protected our marriage. How he's protected our home. There are numerous times. I I can't resist this opportunity. I just think God blesses obedience. So I walked into the kitchen this morning. I didn't even think about this when when I did this. When I walked in the kitchen this morning, you know, the guys were there cooking. I said, hey, guys, you like my new shoes? I said, yeah, man, those are cool, especially for an old man. Well, something like that. They were chick. I said, genuine leather with leather lining, $9.97. I wasn't even looking for a pair of shoes. Sarah and Blake had given me a pair of uh, Sperry's for Christmas. And he didn't know what size. So he works for Journey. They got a discount, so we went to Journey's. I've never been to Journey's in my life. Probably won't go back. But anyway. <laughs> so he brings out this shoe, and he goes, oh, by the way, we had this pair of shoes on clearance. $9.97. I went, what'd you say? They fit. They're on my feet. And God is good. (laughs) And God is good. God is good. Have you seen the devourer? Yes. I'm just telling you. I could. Why me? I've got people here today. If y'all want to stay until 3 o'clock this afternoon, I can bring person after person. Let me tell you what God did honoring my faithfulness to Him. It's no secret with preachers or me. God honors obedience. But I want to tell you this. There's been some real lean times. There's been some times when it seemed like the devourer was not stayed. But let me tell you something. The greatest lessons in trusting God were then. And I am certain that there are some things God wants to teach me with a $9.97 pair of shoes. But there are times... When the lesson he wants to teach me is totally learned. When the props are knocked out, I lift my hands to God and say, God, it's you or it's nothing. And those are the lean times. I told you this before. I can't pull my sleeve up. August the 26th, I had second degree burns on my arm. I'm going to tell you something again, just in case you forgot. I would not trade that experience. If I could unwind the clock, not take the beans out of the oven, I would not do it. Because I learned things about trusting my God that I can only learn through that. And there are lessons in my life that I would not unwind and redo if I could. Because I learned things about my God and about me that I only could learn then. So is it true? Yeah. In His sovereignty. And in his will.
Can I show you one more thing? Verse 12. Then all the nations, say all the nations. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord. So, listen. This thing about tearing walls down, practical atheism. The thing about trusting God. You know what it's for? To God be the glory. Great things He has done. He's got passion. If you're lost today, He wants you to be saved. If, If you're here today, He wants you so much to grow and trust Him and worship Him. But let me just tell you something else. He wants His name glorified among the nations. And God is glorified when His people are obedient and God works to them. It's then the nation pauses and says, I won't know about your God. It's then that it happens. It's then. It's then. When are we going to get over the smallness of our thinking about God and tear the walls down and realize there's a plan so much bigger and we had the thrill of being involved in it? Would you bow your heads right there where you're at? We've got one more lesson in this series. I'm just dying to see how God's going to work it out. So how about, my friends, if you're here and you've not met Jesus yet, I won't talk to you in just a minute. But can I talk to my friends today who, who know Jesus? Guys, is this going to be the day? Mr. Gorbachev, is this when the wall comes down? Is this the day the people will be set free? I pray it will. I don't have a timetable. I don't have the right to assign a timetable. Won't you just try it? Some of you have bumped through life and bumped through life and bumped through life. Why not fully trust Him today? I'm not talking about your salvation. I'm not your walk with Him. We heard from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Trust Him with your finances. Trust Him with your marriage. Trust Him with your children. Trust Him with your careers. Trust Him with who you are. That He might receive the glory. And that you might live abundantly. Do you know how we do that again? If my people are called by my name will declare their dependence on me and if they will seek my face God I need you turn from their wicked ways return I will hear from heaven I will forgive them and I'll bring some healing in the land it's simple that it's just trusting Now, for some of you here today, I know you came to church and doggone if the preacher didn't preach on money. But I hope you heard that wasn't the real message. I believe, and I know a lot of people here do believe, that giving is just one incredible thing. It's it's a blessing. It really is. Some have experienced it and learning it, and some are going to learn it. It's incredible. It really is. But far more incredible than that is the relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ. And we would love.
this is what David was right. This is what it's all about. If you're here today or you're listening on the radio and you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ, if you've never acknowledged that you have sinned against holy God, if you've never experienced His grace, then today could be that day. My friend Brent's going to be standing down front here. Now, I know there's a crowd here and I know it's hard sometimes. But we're going to make it easy because we're going to have everybody bow their, bow their heads. And Brent's going to be standing down front. All you need to say, okay, I want, to know, but I want to know this God. How do I do that? And we got some friends. We'll take you the Word of God and show you what it says about that. Now, Father, I just want to thank you for the privilege of sharing your Word. And what incredible worship we experienced today. How powerful, how passionate it was. Now, Father, may that passion extend. May that power extend now. Holy Spirit, I'm asking you in Jesus' name to speak to the hearts of people. We acknowledge and we know that man cannot bring conviction. We have no right to do so. But Holy Spirit, you can. Would you let the hearts of the people be stirred by your word today? Help us to return. Help us to surrender. Help us to tear the walls down. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name.